Hey, good morning. Welcome if you're with us online. I'm glad that you're here. Happy Father's Day. Um, I'm assuming all your dads are barbecuing that aren't here and you're watching because church is important to you. And uh, right? That's good. Um, Man, I'll tell you what. Dads, you have massive influence. Um, Don't give that away. Take that opportunity today. Um, If you are a dad, take that opportunity. Don't miss that opportunity up to uh, shake it all off and say two things to those around you because it's that important. I love you is really good, but a bigger, more powerful one is I'm proud of you. And call it out and name it. And give respect because I know as a man and us men, like the love stuff is cool, but we want to feel respected And so when another man gives a younger man or someone around them respect, man, the the cash you just put in the bank. So don't miss that opportunity. Drop the pride, the ego, the dude stuff, and lean in all the way and be a good dad. And for those of you who know that don't have a dad that's here around right now, step in on the behalf. Step right in in that season and give the same thing to somebody else. So dads, pops, I see you. I love you, I'm thankful for you, and I hope you're proud of me. So, um, so today, um, we are asking this big question. We're asking the question, if God knows the future, how can we really have choice, or this free choice, if the scripture's already written, if the script is already written ahead of time, if we, uh, we, are we just determining our part in this, and if that's the case, how can God hold us accountable um, for the choices that we make? Because he's really already choosing the choices that we make. And it all becomes quite this philo- philosophical conundrum when we look into it. And we're going to work through that today, and there's some stuff in Jeremiah we're going to pull out of. Uh, as we've been walking through that. But first of all, we're going to start out by pointing a verse. This is one of the favorites within the Christian quiche culture. It's this one, Jeremiah 29, 11. Verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now we've seen this in pictures, you've seen it in jewelry, some of you have it tattooed on your body, you've seen it in tattoos. We love that verse. I mean, all right, Christians love that verse. It's like the thing we give away to graduates and, you know, it sits on our desk and on our wall. And it's all predicated on this, the idea that if God has a plan for our future, it will come about. Now this challenges the whole idea, this whole concept of free choice. But if you believe in free choice, just because God has a plan for your future, it doesn't necessarily mean that it will come about. Because when God says, I have a plan for your future, he's offering you something. He's, he's, uh, he's giving you a proposal. So what if you choose not to follow his plan? Can you do that? Or does anything you do actually then become his plan? How does that all work out? Let me just say this to you. The entire Bible and all of its scriptures is predicated on the fact that we don't always follow God's plan. If we always followed God's plan, it'd be a very short book. In fact, it'd probably be more like a pamphlet. (laughs) Because the whole plot, the whole plot line of scripture, this this whole scope and sequence is that God actually has a plan for Israel to start with, and Israel keeps walking away. 
And we see this through Jeremiah. He's giving this message. He's come as a messenger to say, hey, Israel, you keep walking away from God's plan. Then the church in the New Testament, continually God having a plan that we all keep walking away from. So to just put this piece of scripture up on a poster or have it tattooed or on you saying, God has a plan for your life, it could be a, a really hopeful verse. Or if you're someone who's stubborn and you keep walking away, it could just be a really sad reminder of how far you're straying. Even in Jeremiah, we see that in this poetry, he knows that they're about to go into exile, so it doesn't sound that prosperous and that they're not going to be harmed. That if you read this and who it was written to and how it goes, he's saying, hey, you're getting ready to go in uh, exile. I don't know for how long, but what ends up happening is actually going to exile into Babylon for 70 years. Then the plan begins to come about because of their decisions. And so we want to look at the concept of plan, purpose, and then where we fit in as free choice agents and how that goes. That's kind of where we're headed today. So if God knows the future, do we really have free choice? Let me give you an answer in one sentence. It's this. Knowing what someone will do is not the same as causing them to act that way, for God is not controlling history. Here it is, friends. He's redeeming it. Knowing what someone will do, that's not the same as causing them to act that way. For God's not controlling history, he is redeeming it. That is not, he's not forcing history to move in a, a certain direction in all detail, but what he's bringing out is he's bringing out good out of all things in all times. So does God know the future then? Yes, absolutely. There's two ways that he knows the future, and there might be more, but here are just two ways that he knows the future. One is causally. Causally, he knows much about the future because there's many things he's going to do in the future, and he knows what he is going to do or what's going to be caused. And there's also relationally. Relationally, he knows each of us intimately and infinitely. So he can predict our choices accurately. And I'm going to talk about some examples from Scripture about how God knows the future and knowing the future doesn't necessarily actually cause the future. Casually, he can say certain things are going to happen and they're going to happen because he'll bring them about, right? But you know, all of us can do that to a certain degree. We can cause something to happen. You can say tomorrow, I'm going to do this and then you do it and then you just predicted the future and then the future happened. Let me give you another example. I'm going to ask you all to stand up. Go ahead. Some of you guys can stand up. Now say this. You ready for this? I love In-N-Out. Ready? That's great. You can have a seat. Perfect. So I just want to let you know that I prophesied this this week, that most of you would stand up today and say, I love In-N-Out. I'm going to show you. I put it on a slide. I predict people will stand up and say, I love In-N-Out on Father's Day. June 20th, 21. Now, how did I know the future? I knew the future because I knew what I was going to do in the future. And that didn't mean I forcefully coerced you or you ceased to be free agents and about your choice. You chose to participate with my choice for what we were going to do, and some of you didn't stand. I saw you. You chose not to, so you chose to opt out, right? 
It doesn't override your free choice. You opt in or you opt out relationally. And God knows the future regularly. In scripture, he says that he knows our hearts. He, he's known us since we were in the womb. He knows all the details of our lives. It even says he knows the numbers of hairs on our head. And so we also get to make relational choices. We, we get to make predictive choices about what we're going to do, like a plan for this summer or today. Casual choices. I say that this will happen because I will do it, and then I do it, and then it happens. It's what we do. God does that. But he just does this on an infinite scale. And so we also make predictions about the future. We know people well enough in your life that we can actually predict the things that they're going to do, right? You, you can actually predict the things that they're going to do, uh, of the things that they're going to choose, like what ice cream they would choose, that they're sitting there at 31 flavors, right? You can know them well enough to know what they like. You can um, predict the future based on your relational knowledge, and God does this, but he also just does this infinitely on a larger scale. If you know anything about me, or if you're around me for a period of time in a closer way, there's a bunch of stuff that you would be able to then predict about me. What I would say, or what I would do, or you would know that I'm going to try to scare you at some point. You would know that there's ever pizza in front of me, I'm going to eat it, because pizza's like my favorite, Right? And you don't even have to know me that well, but you can just predict that if you put a slice of pizza in front of me, I'm not going to just let it sit there and just go to waste. You know someone, like a spouse or a friend or someone that's been close to you or even a workmate, what they like or what they don't. And these are things that you would get to know and you could predict then with a fairly regular accuracy because you know them what? Intimately. And God knows all of us intimately and infinitely to the point where he even knows us more a lot of times than we even know ourselves. So the question that people ask then is if, well, if God knows the future, why do we even have to live it out? Like, why do we even go through this? He already knows how the novel ends. Why go on another day? He knows it all. Let's just give up. But you know what? Here's the deal. Experiencing something is different than intellectually knowing something. If I know my wife is a good kisser, I don't say, well, I know that. Let's check that one off the list, right? And I don't need to experience that anymore. Let's move on to the next thing. No way, are you kidding me? Because I know it, I want to experience it more, right? Happy Father's Day, my son's in here. I'm embarrassing right now. He's like, oh my gosh, you guys kiss. <laughs> I want to experience it even more, right? Been on a roller coaster before? You're like, nah, that's a roller coaster. Been there and done that, right? No way. What do we do? We get back in line. We're like on that roller coaster again. It's the same exact track. It goes the same exact direction. You see, God may know things about the future, but that doesn't mean it's passe to him. He actually wants to engage with all of us and live it out and experience what it's like to be friends with you and bring out good out of things even in bad situations in our lives. The entire biblical narrative is based on the premise that God may know the future, but at the same time, we are definitely free to choose things, being made in his image, in his likeness, being partners in making decisions to make history come about. 
We still have wills and effects that affects the world around us and that actually affect other people. And so we read things in scripture, like in Matthew 23, it says this, verse 37. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He says, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. We read in Luke 7, but the Pharisees and experts of the law, we see what they actually rejected God's purpose for themselves. And he had a plan for their life. He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, a good plan, but they chose to reject it. In Genesis 6, you see the story of Noah, where God regretted it, said that he made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled, or some translations actually talk about as deeply grieved. And so his heart was filled with grief. And if everything that we did was because God was meticulously controlling, we were simply simply acting out all of his choices, then why would his heart be troubled or grieving and sad because we weren't willing to partner with him and live this life together? He would have just simply said, ah, yeah, everything is going according to plan. But God has a plan. Part of his plan was actually to make us image bearers who can make choices to walk away from his plan. We get that choice. He's allowed for that, but he grieves when we do walk away from his goodness. The entire biblical narrative is God chasing down, wanting good for you and me and his people throughout the entire narrative that continues to go. We're part of his story. And so what some would say, but wait a second. Doesn't sometimes in scripture God override this whole idea of free choice? Doesn't he uh, sometimes step in? At, At least sometimes in scripture it seems like God makes choices of who will be healed or not healed of something or what catastrophe will befall or what judgment or punishment is going to take place or arrest someone in their life and it's going to choose a different path for them? Absolutely. Absolutely, God chooses to override or intervene at places and times in people's lives because that's what free agents do. God is simply an infinite version of that. But you do that also. I do that also. It doesn't necessarily remove another's free will, but it does have a greater uh, power over them. For instance... Human beings that override other people's free will will, uh, at some time you can graph it out this way, we have a freedom and we have the power to affect our world, including the lives of the people around us. We actually have been given that freedom to affect the people around us based on our choices. It's both, uh, you see it play out in both sinful and non-sinful ways. Our freedom allows us to affect the lives of others. Anytime there is a, an abuser or a murderer, they obviously are usurping the freedom of someone else. They're using their freedom to override the freedom of someone else's. You see it to be true um, in this free group of people. We have a freedom to actually negatively affect one another. And we also use that freedom in sinful ways to override another person's freedom. We can also use this in positive ways. You see this done in a lot of different positive ways. A teacher, for an example, a teacher overrides much of the freedom of his or her class. A parent, 
If your parent overrides the freedom of their children, it doesn't mean that their children are no longer uh, have a free will uh, and they can't do anything anymore. Um, this is dealt uh, quite honestly and really frankly in Scripture. You see this in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 30. It says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. So very honestly, there's a choice clearly laid out that the choices that you make will actually affect others. For instance, your descendants and the choices we make. Here's a simple example. The choices that we make in this generation, do you believe that it's actually going to have an effect on the generation to come? Right. Whether you have children or not, even directly, the choices that you make, that I make, will affect the generation and the choices that the previous generation have affected us. All the previous generation's decisions made an effect in the life that we live today, for good and some for bad, right? And to be completely free means we have an effect not only on our own life, but the lives of others and in the world around us. And God, of course, is a free agent. He's the greatest of all free agents. And so we shouldn't be surprised when he has an effect on us, but that doesn't present, pre- prevent us from being free will agents ourselves. We can see how this works out in Jeremiah. We've been going through the book of Jeremiah, which is filled full of um, poems. Jeremiah was a, a young man who was appointed by God, and God said, hey, I'm going to have you deliver a very difficult message to my people who are straying away. This is Israel. And he's letting him know, hey, you need to turn away. You're not walking the walk. You're just talking the talk. And it's just a sham. And you've started doing your own things. And you're deviating. And you're not doing this life with God. And, and um, they were hurting him. They were hurting each other and hurting other people. And so uh, he, his job was to go and to let them know, hey, this isn't going to work out. There's going to be destruction that's going to come upon us if we don't fix what we're doing or turn our ways. And so we've been walking through what this looks like, this loss and calling and conviction and redemptive uh, aspects of this. And what we do is we find ourselves today in Jeremiah 18, and uh, this is a, another poem or another moment um, that I think is really set up for this idea that God is just puppeteering and controlling it all, right? You would think walking into this, he's going to use an example of a potter and clay, right? And this representation of God being the potter and, you know, being in control over. And so you would think like, hey, yeah, this is perfectly set up to show I'm in control of everything and this is how everything's going to go and this is how it's going to happen. So let's go ahead and hop in and read here. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 9. It says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I, this is Jeremiah, went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? 
like clay in the hand of a potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warn, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it disaster that I've planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up, uh, is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider good that I intended for it. You see a reflection of this in the New Testament. Paul writes in Romans 9 about the potter and the clay, and many people read this harsh determinism into that. And I would see just the opposite, that this is the foundational passage for that. And I think that the message of the potter and the clay is that I have complete authority to do whatever I want. If I want to just determine your life, I could. I have the authority that the potter has over the clay. But actually, I don't want to use that authority to overpower you. I want to bring out the best in you. That as it shifts and makes its own decisions as a piece of clay, that I want to bring out the best in you, that I'm going to come alongside of you and help form it into something beautiful again. And I want to do this collaboratively. He has all authority, but he uses his authority to create a context for relationship. And just as that's the case, it could be that God has all knowledge of the future, but he chooses to limit or withhold so that he can work within us to take a ride with us. That he actually chooses to limit his knowledge or even withhold some of his knowledge about the decisions we're making so he can actually come alongside of us and go on the ride with us. There's this fascinating passage um, where Abraham, you've maybe heard this, Abraham and Isaac, and it's this crazy thing. He, he asked him to go sacrifice his son, Isaac. And literally, Isaac has no idea what's going on. He you know, makes him carry the wood and like, participate in what's about to happen. And just as he's preparing to actually sacrifice his son, uh, a ram gets stuck in a bush right next to him that he'd use for sacrifice. And an angel of the Lord, it says, then shows up and says to him, because now I know that you fear God, there's no longer the sacrifice of your son that's needed. And you go, what? Because now that you know that you fear God, now that you know I fear God, what? I thought God knows everything. God doesn't know that already? And we see when we look at that there's some sense that God either withholds his knowledge or limits it and says, even though I may know something intellectually, I want to know it experientially, and I'm going to take a ride with you. God's commitment to not control everything that happens, which is why we will hurt ourselves, which is why we hurt others, and others hurt us. But this is so important, friends. His commitment is to bring good out of it. See, we screw up, and he uses our screw-ups to bless us. That's called grace. And then what do we do? We screw up again, right? And what does he do? He blesses us again. And then we screw up some more. 
and he blesses us some more. And then at some point, it dawns on all of us. God really is as beautiful and loving and gracious as I've been told. He really does love me that much. May I just say at this moment that when that dawns on you, that will be your moment of greatest choice in your life. You'll have a moment to respond to grace. And your choice will head in one of two directions. You may say, wow, I keep screwing up. And God keeps turning into a blessing. I've learned the secret to life. I get to live, right? I've learned the secret that I keep screwing up and God keeps blessing me here. However, <laughs> I just want to keep abusing whatever and whoever. I want to I be as hateful or spiteful or self-centered as I want. And you actually then deviate from God's plan because you think grace is there to be abused. And some make that choice. But, friends, grace is intended to reveal the heart of God. To give you an opportunity to be wooed by love. And to say, you, you mean you're going to love me? Me no matter what? I want to get closer to you. And you're going to have a moment where you have the opportunity to just fall in love with Jesus. And grace becomes that which convicts and calls and woos and loves us and makes us want to get closer to Jesus and to live better lives. Because it's not the threat of punishment. It's the beauty of grace that change our hearts. That's your moment of choice. And we have that moment right now. We have that moment right now. And so I want to ask you to take out your phones or you can take out your notes and you can write this down. This is something for you to take next steps with or have conversations with the car on the way home. Here's some questions. How can you have an effect not only on your own life, but on the lives of others and on the world around us. How can you, as a free choice agent, have an effect on not only your own life, but on the lives of others because of your choices and even on the world around us? Or this, how are you experiencing life with God and not just intellectually knowing something about him? How are you experiencing his grace? How are you doing life with him? Or is it just, I intellectually know something about him? Or what are you experiencing? And lastly, how are you responding to grace right now in your life? Are you abusing it? <laughs> are you using it? Are you saying, oh, this is great. I'm going to do what I want to do. Thank God for grace. It's good. I figured out that key. I'm going to take that badge home. I'm going to put that bracelet on. Or are you leaning all the way and being wooed by the love of God and leaning in and saying, I have free choice right now. I need a partner. I need hope. I need a friend. I need somebody to talk to. I need somebody that's proud of me. Somebody who loves me. We're going to stand right now and uh, respond in worship. And so I'm going to invite you to do so.